The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Sermon texts, plural, today are found in Romans chapter 12. I invite you to turn there. And we're going to be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. First, we'll be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then turn forward with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. This is the word of our Lord. Let me pray one more time as we begin. So Lord, I ask right now for your help, that I might be an accurate proclaimer of your word, your truth and your glory as we behold it in your word this morning. Would you cause it to have its intended effect among your people so that we might worship you, gaining more and more of a knowledge of the God who has reached down from heaven and saved us by the blood of his Son. Give us that grace and even more than we could ask or imagine today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thanks to Dave for letting me uh, preach this uh, specific message. I'm really excited about it. What we're trying to do uh, in this series that we're going through, Citizens and Sojourners, uh, is to highlight who we are and what we're about as a church, and especially as we're heading towards becoming South City's church. Who are we and what are we about? So this one was really fun for me to prepare because it's on being a learning people. And I love learning, all right? Learning and studying the word and theology and the the doctrines of God. It's been one of my favorite things to do for a long time. So it's one of the reasons that I love doing my job. The reasons that I, I love coming to work is I get to teach. I get to expound the word of God. I get to teach it primarily in Truth on Fire on Wednesdays. Uh, I get to uh, sometimes teach in Sunday school a little bit less often, and then sometimes I even get to preach. And so this is a real treat for me, uh, especially on this topic. So here's what I'm not going to try and do today. I'm not going to try to convince you that learning is important. And I think we pretty much all agree (laughs) that learning is important. I don't think anyone here would really disagree with me. I was talking to to Tim, our bass player, Tim Osterlund, about the the sermon topic on Thursday night at worship team practice, Uh, and he said, I don't think there's a huge anti-learning segment among us as a people, and I think that's probably true. So we might have, uh, you know, different convictions about learning and education or study or, or things like that in general, but I think we'd all agree that education is a good thing. So, 
what I'm going to try to do is show why. (laughs) Why do we think good, solid, theological learning is so important? And I'm going to try to show that by showing what the function is of learning in the life of a Christian, all right? In other words, what does deep, rigorous, serious study of the scriptures and its related theological disciplines like biblical theology, systematic theology, principles of biblical interpretation, things like that, what do those do for us? How do they help us? What's the purpose? So look with me at Romans chapter 12. We're going to be jumping around a little bit today, but we're going to ground ourselves here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, The first section of the sermon here is going to be the longest, where we ground ourselves in this reality. And then for the second half of the sermon, I'm going to apply these principles to three specific areas of loving God, loving our neighbors, and making disciples. So those phrases should be becoming familiar to us by now as a people. So I want to apply this concept of learning specifically to those three areas. So look with me at at verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, What's going on here? Paul has just finished laying out this glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that has come to the Gentiles, right? It's come to the Gentiles that by grace through faith, we have been grafted into the promises of God made to Israel, and we're now the rightful recipients of God's covenant love through union with Christ. So that's been the previous 11 chapters, this amazing, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And now... He's moving into the more practical application of this deep truth. So how does that affect how we live? So he begins here by saying that, Therefore, in light of all that, present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. This is your spiritual worship. In other words, your whole life, your whole life is meant to be lived as worship. Not just some of it, not just when you walk into these doors into church, not just when you're reading your Bibles in the morning or praying, right? That's not the only time that you're worshiping. Your whole body, your whole self, your whole life is meant to be offered as a sacrificial act of worship to our God. So, don't be conformed. Don't be conformed. This world is naturally not a place that worship and glorifies God, right? We we look around, we can see that. Instead, it's marred with sin and death and suffering. Even creation itself, which is screaming the glories of God, according to Romans 1, is marred and broken and stained by sin. And, And mankind, we humans, men and women, made in God's image, even though we reflect his image and his glory, we're broken and we're sinful. Apart from the grace of God, the inclinations of our hearts, like it said in Genesis, are only towards evil all of the time. That's the state of our hearts apart from grace. And yet, wonder of wonders, God has chosen to save his children from their sin, replace their heart of stone with the heart of flesh, cause them to be born again. And so now, 
Here's the call to his children with this new heart. Do not conform to the evil world around you. Instead, be transformed. Don't conform. Be transformed. And that transformation happens by the renewal of your minds. By the renewal of your mind. So right here, we see that the life of the mind is connected to our transformation as Christians. They're not separate. Our minds matter in our, in our transformation so that we can offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. So the verbs here that are used in verse 2, they're in the present tense, which means it stresses the ongoing action of renewing our minds in the truth over and over for the rest of our lives so that we're not conformed to the world, but are instead transformed by the grace of God. Renewing the mind isn't just a one-time act. Now, you don't just renew your mind once and then it's done, okay? Renew your minds. Use it. Use your minds again and again for your whole life to think about and learn about and focus on the truth of God, renewing it in his truth to be transformed into his image. So remember uh, a, a verse like 2 Corinthians 3.18, for example. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. So there's that transformation again, right? How does that happen? By beholding the glory of God. We have a book that from cover to cover on every page is revealing the glory of God in history, culminating in the person and the work of Jesus his son. And when we read it, God uses his word to transform us. But it's more than just reading it, right? We don't just, you know, read it once and then, all right, well, I read that. That was great. Like, like we do a book or a novel or something like that. The more that we understand it and know it and learn about it and learn about him through it, the more that he can use it in our hearts to transform us. And the more that you know his word, the more that you can understand what God's will is in contrast to the world's ways, right? Look again at verse 2. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the more that you know the word, <laughs> the more of God's glory you see in the word, and the more you'll be able to test the world around you and discern what God's will is for your life. Do you see how that works? You got to know God and his word and renew your mind in it. And then once you know that, you can test. Now this, this will of God here, that's a kind of a, a hot button phrase in, for Christians. What is the will of God for your life, right? This isn't referring to things here uh, like knowing what God wants you to have for breakfast, all right? Or uh, which model of car you should buy, or non-moral questions like that, okay? God gives us so much freedom using wisdom and biblical concepts, all right, in decisions like that so that we're f we don't feel crippled with anxiety in every decision if, if, if this is the will of God or not, for us in decisions that don't involve right or wrong, okay? Instead, like verse 1 says, we do those things from a heart of worship to God, okay? 
in worship to God, like it says in verse 1, showing that he is supreme in our lives in every decision, big and small. But this verse, verse 2, is talking about God's revealed will, how he wants us to live as people who have been transformed. It's how the Bible reveals God's moral will for our lives. So maybe this will help kind of getting at a little bit of the difference between verses 1 and verses 2. Verse 2. Kids, have your parents ever said to you something like, I want you to draw me a picture for, like, for me as a present. I just want a picture from you. Something like that. Did they tell you exactly what they want you to draw? No. They just want the picture to be an expression of your love for them. That's how we make every decision in life even when it isn't explicitly spelled out in Scripture. What house to buy? What vacation to plan? Right? How much breakfast to eat? God is saying, just do it in a way that shows how much you love me. Just paint me a picture. Offer it to me as your worship. That's verse 1. Everything that you do, just paint him a picture. Show him how much you love him. Now, kids, what if your parents say to you, I want you to stop hitting your brother or sister? <laughs> Have they ever had to say something like that to you? Yeah. That's, yeah. That is how they are teaching you what is right and wrong behavior in the world. Right? They're teaching you right and wrong. So even when your friend says, eh, it's okay to hit your sister, that's kind of fun. You can say, no, because my mom and dad taught me that that is not right. Right? You can test. And you can stand up for truth and defend the truth of God, right? By teaching. That's verse 2. Renew your mind by reading and studying and learning God's revealed will for your life so that by testing you can say no to the world or to your friend or whatever when they contradict what is good and acceptable and right and perfect according to the will of God. So that's, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. Now, I want to make one more thing that I think is implicit in, this, in these verses. I just want to name it and make it explicit, okay? Who does the transforming work in our hearts? In other words, we read and we study and we learn and we see God's glory revealed in Scripture, right? We're learning more and more about him, diving ever deeper into his truth. How are we transformed? How does that miracle happen? The Holy Spirit. So consider another verse, for example, Titus 3.5. You don't have to turn there, but you can look it up later if you want to. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us, not because of works done by, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Renewal of the Holy Spirit. So there it is again, that word renewal. It's the exact, exact same word there as it is in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. And who's doing the renewal? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit renews us from the inside out, which makes sense because the very words of Scripture were inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe this. We believe that the Bible is God's word. The very words of Scripture were inspired by God himself through the Spirit 
According to 2 Peter uh, 1.21, the authors of Scripture spoke from God as they were carried along in the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit uses His own inspired words in Scripture to teach and to correct and to rebuke and to train in righteousness. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. We all know that. So this is the miracle of reading and studying and meditating on and learning God's Word and God's truth and sound doctrine that's rooted in Scripture in the Bible. This is the miracle. God uses that learning about Him, that glory that we're beholding, that greater picture of who He is, and He renews our minds again and again so that we can know what God's revealed is for our lives in an evil world so that we can offer ourselves as living sacrifices. All of our lives, therefore, are given to him as worship. This is how learning about God is supposed to work <laughs> in our lives. It's supposed to work that way. Not just learning for learning's sake, but learning for renewal and transformation. That's why it's so important. So, if that's how renewal and transformation happens, then it makes total sense where Paul goes next in this chapter. So the rest of Romans 12, the whole rest of the chapter is Paul just spelling out what verses 1 and 2 look like, practically. He's saying, this is what the transformed mind looks like. This is how the renewed mind lives in God's world. And he's showing that knowing God, knowing God's will, isn't just for knowledge's sake. It isn't just to store it up, say, oh, look how much I know. Learning and study and theological precision and prowess and all of these things that we really value are not an end in themselves. We don't seek after learning and knowledge to puff ourselves up, to say, look how much I know. If that knowledge isn't changing how we live, then something is terribly wrong. It's wrong. That's not how it's supposed to work. That's a real danger. So I just want to name it, and perhaps especially it's a real danger at a place like Bethlehem with a history and a legacy of valuing theological study and precise doctrine for a long time. Now, praise God for those things. We want to continue to do that. We love God's truth. We love learning. We love theological study. And so I'm thankful for that. But how easy would it become for those things to be our identity instead of the effect that the sound doctrine has on our lives because we've been transformed by that knowledge. Right? It's just, it's a subtle misplacement in identity. It's, oh, I'm smart. I'm that doctrinally precise Christian, right? That can be your identity instead of I have been bought with a price by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and I want to know him as much as I can so that I can love him and proclaim him to a world that needs him. See the difference there? In other words, I have the warning of 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3 ringing in my ears. So Daniel read that. You can turn there with me now if you want. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 3. This is the warning. It's a real warning for us, okay? Now concerning food offered to idols, verse 1, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. All right, now what's Paul talking about here? He's talking about people who know something. They've learned, right? Okay, they've, they've learned something. Namely, that food sacrificed to idols really doesn't mean anything because idols are nothing. Food sacrificed to idols means nothing because an idol is nothing. But some people, in their hearts, in their consciences, they don't know that. So this knowledge has the danger to puff people up, holding it over and against others without loving them by deferring to their weaker consciences. If that's the way that you view your knowledge, your learning of God and his word, just to claim, look how much I know, and then lord it over people who don't know as much as you, you've missed the point. God in his word has said, you do not know yet as you ought to know. So there's a right way of knowing and a wrong way of knowing. Knowledge for knowledge's sake in order to hold it over people and force them, you know, to do things that might violate their consciences because they don't know as much as I do. Or knowledge for the sake of love. It says, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. The point isn't just knowledge itself. That will only puff up in pride. Holding it over those that don't know what we know. The point of all of our knowing and learning and education and study is love. That's the point. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. Is your learning leading to loving? So, what I want to do now for roughly this, this last section of the sermon, last half here, maybe a little less, is to talk about how our learning should fuel our love for God, for our neighbors, and for making disciples. So if you've been listening to the most recent sermons, or if you've been reading the documents that the elders have been sending out for our new South Cities Church, or maybe if you've attended the, the Q&As last week, you'll know that those categories are the ones that we're majoring on as a church in our new mission statement. South Cities Church is a family in Christ that exists to love God, love our neighbors, and make disciples of all peoples. Now those categories aren't categories that Dave or I or any of the elders just kind of came up with, obviously. Jesus himself has given us, given us the task of loving God with everything that we have, loving our neighbors as ourselves, and making disciples of all peoples, of all nations. So these are his words in the greatest commandments and the Great Commission. So I want to connect our learning in our seeking after knowledge to those specific things that Jesus says we ought to give our very lives to. If you're, if you're in Truth on Fire, which is kind of our, our theological training class that we've been doing on Wednesday nights for the last year, it's been great. If you've been in Truth on Fire, we do this every week. This should sound very familiar to you. The whole point of Truth on Fire is to learn God's truth really deeply and rigorously and thoroughly, to study hard, to gain knowledge, to know theological categories and the history of theological interpretation for the purpose of stoking a fire in our hearts to love God and love neighbors and make disciples. That's why we call it truth on fire. It's got to ignite that in our hearts so we're doing it wrong. So every class, no matter what the assigned reading was, we ask the question, 
how did this week's material help you to love God and help your neighbors and love, love your neighbors more? Right? We're always pushing it into those corners. So we're just going to do that together this morning as a whole church. You're going to get a little taste of what it's like in class. So first, learning in order to love God. How does our learning help us to love God with everything that we have? Well, consider Jesus' words in Mark 12.30. He's just been asked which is the most important commandment of all, right? Which, which is the most important commandment? And he answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength. So notice that Jesus explicitly says that we should love God with our minds. Right there. Our minds are not disconnected from our love of God. Have you ever heard someone try to make that kind of distinction and say, well, going after knowledge and learning and theological study and precision and those types of things, that will necessarily get in the way of a close, personal, loving relationship with God. Have you kind of heard people try to divorce those things like that? But you can't fully and completely love God without using your minds to know who he is and what he's commanded. You just can't. In fact, the more you learn about him, the more you see him, the deeper you catch a glimpse of his glory, the more the Spirit can use those truths in your life to stoke deeper and truer affections for him. So think, think about what happened to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. He was transported in a vision to the heavenly throne room he saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. The, the train of his robe was filling the temple with the glory of God. And Isaiah was overwhelmed, right? He had a, a fuller revelation of who God was. And what did he do? He responded in worship and confession. He said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He responded. That revelation affected how he acted. And then the angel came and took the coal from the altar and it he touched it to Isaiah's lips. And he said, behold, you are cleansed and forgiven. And what did Isaiah do? He said, here I am, Lord, send me. So the more that Isaiah saw of God and his glory and his his. Uh, redemption and forgiveness and beauty, the more he responded in worship and love. I've seen more of the Lord. He is so much more glorious and beautiful than I knew. Than I knew. His redemption and forgiveness is so much deeper and fuller than I could have imagined. How could I not give my life to him? Not out of duty, but because I want to in light of who he is. That is how our study and learning and theological education ought to stoke our love for God. Kids, have you ever been in a car, driving maybe in the back seat, and you look out the window, and the scenery is really pretty, like, oh, that's, that's neat, we're in a forest or by the lake or something. And then you come around a corner, and it clears, and you can just see the full vista and beauty of what's going on outside the car. I remember one time, I was driving, and I, I could see the tip of a sunset over the trees, but most of it was blocked, but I could just see the tip of it. I was like, wow, that's really pretty. And then I came around a corner, and it, was, it, it cleared, and it was over a lake, and I could see the entire sky just lit up with 
yellows and oranges and pinks and purples of this beautiful sunset. And what did that do in me? It, it caused me <laughs> to pull over <laughs> and to take a picture and to just revel in God's beauty in creation. It affected me. It gave me, it, you know, it felt good. It was exciting. It caused me to worship. That is why we want to learn about God, to know his word deeper, to be more knowledgeable and precise and accurate, not for knowledge itself, but for a better picture of his glory so that our hearts can explode in worship and greater faithfulness amidst an evil world. So that's how our learning ought to affect our love for God. Now, number two, renewing our mind with our neighbors in mind, learning in order to love our neighbors. Going back to Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says in verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love God, love your neighbors. So again, if our learning is supposed to fuel our loving, how does that affect our love for our neighbors? I'm talking to the kids a lot this morning. Kids, what happens when you, when you fill up a cup in the sink or a bucket maybe in the backyard in the sandbox or whatever and you just keep filling it and you just keep filling it and filling it and filling it and you keep adding water? What happens? It overflows. There's, no, there's so much water in the bucket that it has nowhere else to go and it overflows over the size because it has to. This is how our learning of God and his word is supposed to work. We should be so profoundly affected with the greater and fuller and deeper vista of the glory of God. Not only does it cause us to worship in our own hearts, but it overflows to those around us. We can't keep it to ourselves. We, it has to. It's overflowing. The more you learn about God, his love, his redemption, his grace, his mercy, his marvelous works among men in history, how could that not change how you interact with those around you? It has to. It's going to keep overflowing, and you're going to just have to tell someone, have you, do you know? Have you heard? And it's going to affect, man, I have been forgiven so much. How can I not forgive you? The more that you know about those things, the more it's going to overflow to those around you. Think about those around you, people dead in their sins, without hope in the world, blinded by the devil and their own flesh, Ephesians chapter 2. But we've been transformed, and now our minds are being renewed, and we can test and see the folly of the world, and we can say there's a better way, a narrow path that leads to eternal life, and the commands of Jesus, they are not burdensome, but light leading to full joy, now and forever. So we overflow to our neighbors. We see them as possessing the image of God, right? Because we, we've learned that. Everyone is made in the image of God, equal of worth and dignity and value and love. And so let's just look at a few of the commands that we see right in Romans chapter 12, the fruit of being transformed and renewed by the Spirit. So Romans 12, 10. I'm just going to read a few of them here. For example, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. All right? That's how we're supposed to love one another. I'm supposed to outdo you in showing honor. It's a real sanctified, godly competition. I can show more honor than you can. 
all right? Or Romans 12, 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's an effect of our learning about who God is and his glory. Or how about verses 14 to 21, that whole section, verses 14 to 21. Listen to this. This is crazy in our world. Think about how different this sounds like than the world that we live in. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Does that sound like the way that the world is teaching us to interact with one another? To love those that are around you who disagree with you, who might even be your enemy? This is what it looks like to have had such a renewal of your mind through beholding the glory of God in his word, who has loved us so deeply that by the power of the Spirit, you overflow in countercultural, selfless, spirit-wrought love for everyone around you because you can't help it. Because God has so changed you by his glory that you overflow And the deeper your knowledge of God goes, the fuller your love for your neighbors becomes. Daily renewing your mind through learning more and more and more and more about God should lead to this kind of sacrificial love. Third, finally, learning in order to make disciples. How does our learning fuel our obedience to the Great Commission? So we know and we've heard several times over the past few months in the last sermons, etc., global focus, right, that Jesus has commanded us in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations. We love that. We want to do that. We want to be faithful in our call. And he told us that by do that, by going, by baptizing, and by teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. So I just want to highlight two ways there that are learning fuels that great commission. First, this may seem obvious, but you can't teach someone to observe all that Jesus has commanded without knowing all that Jesus has commanded, right? (laughs) You just can't do it, all right? And so, we need to know fully in order to teach fully. Learning about who God is and how he wants us to live is key to fulfilling the great commission of making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ both near and far. So think about it this way. Last week, Dave showed us God's plan to reach the world through local churches. It was beautiful. I loved it. That's what we want to be about. Reach the world through healthy churches that plant churches that plant churches. That's God's big idea for the salvation of the world through his spirit. 
in every tribe and tongue and nation throughout the world. And that church will in turn love God, love their neighbors and make disciples and plant churches. And the gospel will continue to go forth through the local church until Christ returns. So that new local church has to be equipped to accurately teach and observe all that God has commanded. Otherwise, what happens? God's glory is distorted. And the gospel is diminished or maybe even outright denied. And the disciple-making process is short-circuited. A church planted that is preaching the prosperity gospel is not fulfilling the Great Commission. Pastors and teachers must We must accurately know the word to teach it to others, to teach it to others so that churches can be healthy and spread the true hope of Jesus far and wide. So that's the first way that our learning fuels the the Great Commission. Second is very, very closely related to how we love our neighbors. So remember back in Isaiah 6, I already mentioned this, when Isaiah saw the glory of God and he responded and confessed and his sins were forgiven and he said, here I am, Send me. In other words, Isaiah's learning and seeing more of the depths of God's glory fueled his going. And it should fuel our going as well. In fact, it has to. It has to. Just as greater learning and knowledge of God overflows in our love for him and our love for our neighbors, it overflows in going where he is not yet named, not yet treasured, not yet exalted. Missions is hard, right? We know that. Going to hard places means danger and suffering and risks and hardships that most of us probably can't even imagine or dream would would happen to us, right? Why would we go? (laughs) Because you've been consumed with the revelation of the glory of God and transformed to value the spread of that glory everywhere that it is not yet known. That type of going won't happen for everyone, but if it happens for anyone, it'll be because that's happened in your heart. Right? That has to happen or you're not going to want to (laughs) go. That will only happen by the renewal of your mind through learning of the greater and greater worth of knowing Jesus Christ and eternity with him as opposed to eternal separation that all those who do not know his name are destined for. So our learning really, really matters. It really matters for being the type of people that we want to be, not for knowledge's sake, not so that we can be puffed up and, and find our identity in that knowledge or hold it over others in pride, but so that we can love God with more of our hearts and souls and minds and strength so we can love our neighbors as ourselves sacrificially and more deeply and so that we can make disciples with a vision and passion for God's glory that can only come through being transformed by learning about who God is. So may we be that type of learning people by the power of his Holy Spirit for the greater good of both us and the world around us. Let's pray. So, Lord, we are really thankful that you've communicated to us in a book, that we can hold it, that we have it in our language. What a grace that we have several translations that we can read 
and learn and know about you and grow in deeper and deeper knowledge and that by the Spirit that lives inside of us, you take that learning and you renew us and transform us from the inside out to love you more and love our neighbors and make disciples. So would you do that more and more among us? Help us to get the, help us to get the purpose right. Lord, guide, guard us from pride, from thinking that we know so much and look how much we know when we're so great. But let all of this deep knowledge that we love and value lead to loving. It must lead to loving, Lord, or we're doing it wrong. So by your Spirit, grant us that grace. Help us to love you, love our neighbors, and make disciples. And now as we, as we come to the table now, would we love you even in that? And would we gain through fellowship with Jesus at the Lord's table a greater knowledge of his forgiveness and his mercy and his great love for us as his children? Give us that glimpse, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.